Hello and welcome to Exploring with Conservation X-Labs, a podcast in which we dive into the extra yet ordinary journeys of people innovating for our planet. I'm your host, Maria, and today I'll be talking with Bruce Friedrich, the co-founder and executive director of the Good Food Institute, GFI, an international non-profit that is working towards a sustainable agricultural system through food innovation and accelerating the production of plant-based and cell-based meat. Bruce, welcome. Thanks so much, Maria. I'm delighted to be on. I appreciate the invitation. I'm really happy to have you on. You know, I just want to say I have interviewed quite a few people that have undertaken big missions, but you are on another level for me because when I was doing research on your work, I really felt that trying to change the meat industry and by nature, the food industry is incredibly long-term complex and worth it, of course. So essentially, what I really want to ask you at the beginning is, why do you do what you do? What has been motivating you? Focusing on bringing a better future for animals, people's health, and environmental well-being. What is the motivation? That that feels like it would be a, a common question, but it's actually not that common of a question. So before I started working in animal protection, which I did for quite a while, I ran a homeless shelter um, and a soup kitchen in inner city Washington, D.C. for about six years. The motivating factor in my life is Matthew 25, when Jesus talks about what salvation looks like, and he talks about the works of mercy. And distilled to a, a principle of life for today, it's think globally about those who are suffering the most. So you think about something like uh, 700, 800 million people living in extreme poverty. Uh, COVID added 125, 150 million people to those roles. And the founding question of GFI was, how do we feed close to 10 billion people by 2050 without burning the planet to a crisp? Since we know from research that economies that grow eat more meat, What do you think is at stake from the data you learn about on a daily basis when it comes to business as usual, not doing the work that you are doing right now? Well, the science is in. According to the United Nations, globally, on our current trajectory, we are forecasted to need to produce 70 to 100% more meat by 2050. If that happens, we will also need more and more land. It requires 20 times as much land to produce um, a calorie of beef relative to a calorie of plant-based beef or cultivated beef. We will require more and more antibiotics fed to farm animals. Already about 70% of all antibiotics produced by pharmaceutical companies are fed to farm animals. That's leading to antibiotic resistance, which is going to cost the global economy $10 trillion by 2050 and be killing more people than cancer. Um, And we'll continue to increase our risk of another pandemic. The UN Environment Program in July 2020 released a report preventing the next pandemic 
they listed the seven most likely causes of the next pandemic. And number one was increased meat production, because the more animals you have, the more likely one of them will have a zoonotic disease, which will become the next COVID-19. Um, and number two was intensive a- animal agriculture, uh, because you, the more you cram animals in sheds or on feedlots, the more you depress their immune systems uh, and increase the likelihood of that zoonotic disease that leads to the next pandemic. So business as usual uh, is horrible from a biodiversity standpoint, from a climate standpoint, and from a global health standpoint. Shifting to meat production by biomimicking meat with plants or cultivating meat directly from cells, the thing that does is it eliminates meat's contribution to pandemic risk. It eliminates meat's contribution to antibiotic resistance, uh, and it slashes the land use requirements, which means it's better for for biodiversity, uh, and it slashes the direct uh, CO2 as well as uh, nitrous oxide uh, and methane emissions from meat. So it's it's all around just a, a much better future if we're making meat in these much better ways. It certainly does sound like a much better future. And research shows that uh, plant-based meat is much healthier than even top quality meat. Uh, but many people believe the opposite is true. You've mentioned quite a few like misconceptions about plant-based alternatives. Uh, what are some you really want to debunk in this conversation? Because <laughs> there's just so many. Well, I mean, I think the, the biggest one with GFI's theory of change is that we're not actually attempting to convince people to change how they think about food. We have been, global health experts and environmentalists and animal protection advocates have been begging the public to eat less meat for 50 years. And per capita meat consumption just keeps going up. It is as high as it has ever been. I think the biggest thing that we need to disabuse people of um, is the idea that this requires behavior change. It doesn't. Um, With cultivated meat, you're talking about literally the exact same product, but without all of those external costs that we've been talking about. With plant-based meat, I guess it it does require that people uh, happily eat something that's healthier. Uh, That doesn't seem like a huge lift for people, uh, but we do think a a fair number of people probably are going to want to continue to eat actual animal meat. Um, And then boom, we've got cultivated meat for them. Uh, But the goal of plant-based meat and and cultivated meat and the people who are working on it is to create products that taste the same or better to meat eaters, not to vegetarians. Oftentimes vegetarians will say, I'm, you know, happy with my whole foods plant-based diet. Um, I'm not going to eat that. And it's like, we do not care what you eat. You're already eating a whole foods plant-based diet. This is not for you. Keep doing that. Uh, But also recognize for those people that you are less than 1% of the global population. So this is for all of the people, which is 99% of Americans um, and something like 99% of the rest of the world that don't have ethical objections to consuming meat. Let's give them the meat that they love, but let's biomimic it with plants or let's cultivate it directly from cells. I mean, that's exactly it. I see it in my own household. My grandma is obsessed with this vegan cheese that is made of coconut and water. <laughs> 
And then my grandma is like the typical example of someone that doesn't take any of like outside nonsense. She's like, I'm going to do what I do. This is, this is my life, you know? So she, she will never give in to behavioral change, as you said, but she just loves this taste of vegan cheese. And we have so many of it in the fridge and it's just for her. I'm vegetarian, but my family is not. I'm from Poland. So Polish culture. And that's the one thing I also want to talk to you about culture is very hard to change. But I see more and more uh, people just buying alternative products because they taste better. So yeah, that also gives me hope. I'm, I'm really glad you mentioned that. Yeah, I will say pretty much everybody says wherever uh, they or their ancestors are from, um, and then the word culture as their uh, explanation for why the shift is, is hard. Meat eating is, it appears to be pretty innate in human beings. Biologically, we want dense calories. We have not evolved out of being a species that is used to not having enough food. The reason that sugar and fat are so appealing is they are dense calories and our bodies continue to be programmed to want dense calories. So producing those dense, dense calories using plants or using uh, cultivation is a way to work with human physiology uh, without having all of the vast external costs of the present method of meat production. So if we want to preserve biodiversity, this really is the only land and ag solution to those problems that scales. We have been trying for 50 years to convince people to eat less meat or no meat. And that has worked with a limited number of people, but that has not turned their trajectory. The reason it hasn't worked and the reason it's going to continue to not work is it works against human biology. Um, and that's pretty global. I mean, that's science. That is the nature of being a human being. There, You've mentioned a lot of facts about how it's really inefficient to grow meat and very unsustainable because not a lot of resources are well well used in this process, uh, to say the least. So would you uh, say that your work also gives you a lot of hope about the future of food waste? Are there other innovations that you're trying to look into right now? Food waste is definitely a huge concern. Something like 40% of all food produced globally um, is wasted. But think about this, the, the most efficient animal at turning crops into meat is the chicken. And it takes nine calories in the form of soy, wheat, whatever's turned into animal feed, it takes nine calories fed to a chicken to get one calorie back out from the chicken. Um, it takes 40 calories fed to a feedlot cow to get one calorie back out from the cow. Um, that is literally 800% food waste with the chicken. You have to use eight times as much land, eight times as much water, eight times as many pesticides and herbicides. Um, with beef, it's 40 times as much land, 40 times as much water, 40 times as many pesticides and herbicides. So um, the number of people who are super concerned about food waste, and we should be concerned about food waste, um, that is about the strongest argument imaginable um, for making meat from plants and cultivating it from cells so that we are not essentially wasting. Like it really would be each time somebody eats chicken, it would be like going to your refrigerator, throwing eight plates of food into the trash and eating one plate of food. You're not literally the one doing that, but that's what happened 
there's a lot of uh, discussion of, of the soy that is grown in the Amazon rainforest, um, the Amazon rainforest being burned down for soy production. Almost all of that goes to chicken and pig feed. Less than 5% of it goes into tofu and tempeh and soy milk and other plant-based um, products. A lot of the Amazon rainforest is being uh, burned down to literally graze cattle. Oh my goodness. I'm having shivers like down my body. Just, I did not know that. First of all, that's a horrible, horrible statistic to learn about. It really makes you rethink, <laughs> rethink already what you rethought <laughs> before. Um, but th that's true that it's um, very uncommon for people to think about the life cycle of their food before that it came to them. So one other thing that I actually heard about you being a huge advocate for is an open source uh, research and development. I'm curious how you've seen the opportunities that open source research and development has created in uh, your field. So companies like Impossible Foods and Beyond Meat and Upside Foods and Blue Nalu and Mosa Meat, they were somebody had an idea and then they had a company. They had an idea and then they had a company. And all of the science was protected by intellectual property or, or trade secrets, which means that everything that Impossible or Upside or Moser or Blue Nalu or whatever, everything that their scientists have figured out benefits their company and no other company in the world. Um, and on both plant-based meat and cultivated meat, until GFI, nobody had said, what is the technological readiness of this concept? What are the critical technology elements of this concept? What is the science that we should do so that we can answer fundamental questions from which lots of companies can grow? It's really all about the science of biomimicking meat from plants, cultivating meat from cells, and doing that in a way that doesn't just help uh, you know, one individual company at a time, but that helps the entire ecosystem. If you claim as a company that you want to have impact, well, you then share <laughs> because you're going to grow, others are going to grow and you're going to make an impact alone. You're not going to make the biggest impact that you dream of having. So um, I really uh, want to see open source R&D making a huge uh, step on the famous arena of common practices. Super hard for companies to do that. So I yeah, mean, GFI's is. global battle cry is getting governments to fund open access science. Um, and also to incentivize private sector R&D and private sector infrastructure build out. But um, the problem with companies doing that um, is that companies exist for profit. So any CEO that came in and said, I'm going to open source this would probably be replaced by their board of directors. I mean, I suppose Elon Musk, right? Like um, he's open sourcing a lot of, a lot of uh, Tesla science and that company has been incredibly profitable, but did that as majority shareholder and sort of brought people along. If we could get somebody like Elon Musk um, or Jeff Bezos uh, to bankroll this, they could open source the science because they could bankroll it. Uh, but a company that did that out of the gate would have trouble raising money. I suppose in some areas, but there could be other ways of open sourcing research and development. I, I, I'm sure of it. I'm sure of it. I'm, I'm not an expert, of course, but I do believe that there is more to a company than, than the actual 
developed idea and, and how it works. It's definitely the people that make the company and their long-term vision and mission. And so I, I really <laughs> think there there is room. There is room for that. Uh, but you're right. Startups, when they're starting, that's, that's all they got. One thing I always finish my interviews with is the question of what are you hoping to explore next? Uh, global expansion. So uh, 2022 is the year that we um, open offices in Japan uh, and Korea. Uh, 2022 is the year that our European offices expand into more countries. Right now we have uh, offices in Brussels and a team of very hardworking policy staff in London. So we're focused on the UK and the European Union, but we will be expanding into other countries. And we have a, a grant from our friends at uh, Breakthrough Energy to do some scoping for European countries. 2022 is the year that we ramp up, um, especially in Europe and Asia. I'm really excited for that. I hope that the more global uh, GFI becomes, it's already super global, but the more global it becomes, the, the more impact you can have. And uh, I really want to thank you for sharing so many interesting facts in this conversation, educating us uh, and giving us hope about the future of food and the future of meat. Thanks so much, Maria. It was really my uh, pleasure and honor to be on. The Exploring Podcast is made possible by Conservation X Labs, a technology and innovation company creating new solutions to prevent the sixth mass extinction. Subscribe to our podcast and visit conservationxlabs.com to learn more. Thanks for tuning in.